Well, hello, Crossroads. On behalf of the whole Heller family, let me just tell you how excited we are to be back at Crossroads, to lock arms together, to make disciples here in the tri-state area and really across the world. Let me say hello to all of those who are joining us on our online campus and also at the West Campus. It is so exciting to be here. And I gotta be honest, the past 45 days of our life has been a whirlwind, okay? It started with our oldest daughter graduating college followed shortly by selling our house, buying a house, wrapping up 13 years of ministry at one church, our son finishing high school and then cramming all of our stuff into two and a half trucks and rolling into Newburgh and unloading them over the past three days in Newburgh. But we're excited to be here. Let me just tell you that, okay? Woo, awesome. Uh, to steal a line from the genie in Aladdin is like 10,000 years, I'll give you one crick in the neck. I feel that way about boxes, my friends, like 10,000 boxes will hurt your body all over, all right? Uh, you know, connecting with old friends here at Crossroads, um, going through to my alma mater where my daughter graduated from and going through all of our stuff, packing it up in boxes has, has made me mis mis nostalgic. Um, we made a promise that we would not bring any box back to Evansville that we moved from Evansville that we haven't opened in the past 16 years. <laughs> and so what that meant is we spent the better half of a day going through those boxes, okay? Those boxes had stuff from our childhood. My mom has saved every birthday card I got from zero to 18, okay? Don't tell her that they didn't make the trip, all right? We did some purging along the way. Uh, we went through old school pictures, stuff from college, stuff from our wedding, all the kids like stuff when they were younger. And man, all that stuff just kind of made me nostalgic. It made me think of my childhood growing up. Now I was a child of the 80s, which meant you could buy soda in a bottle for 50 cents. And the cool thing about that is you would go to a soda machine or a pop machine and you could get a bottle, but some of those machines didn't have an opener on it which meant I was a frustrated young little boy sitting in the back seat of my parents' 1976 Chevrolet Impala. Not the cool kind, the, the family version, okay? And what that meant is it's bigger than a tank and it had a back window large enough for me to lay out in the back seat, in the back window. I would take the window, my sister, because she was skinny, could lay in the floorboard and my brother who was tall could lay on the bench seat. And that's how we rolled on many family trips. There were no seat belts required in those days. That was the good old days, right? And so there I sat in the back seat with this soda pop bottle and I had to improvise. And so I grabbed the seat belt. You know that little notch in a seat belt? There I am prying that stupid pop bottle lid off and being frustrated about it. Why? because seat belts were never designed to be openers for pop bottles, right? Here's also a public service announcement. Pop bottle openers do not protect you in case of an accident in a vehicle, okay? They're not designed to work that way. Today, we're continuing this teaching series through the book of Ephesians entitled, By Design. And today we wanna to look at what Paul has to say about childhood and parenthood. And so I'm gonna encourage you to grab a Bible, use the one in the seat back in front of you, use it on the device that you might have. If you're at the West Campus underneath the chair, grab a copy, a copy of the Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna be looking at verses one through four. 
Paul draws attention to God's wisdom, his forethought, and his purpose throughout the entire letter to the Ephesians. He explains to us how and why God has redeemed us as mankind. He's taught about the great purpose of the church and how every one of us has been gifted to contribute to the purpose of the church. And he also writes about how to live out our faith in daily living, in practical actions and in relationships. In chapters one through three, Paul kind of goes on a theological discourse about this redemption. The fact that God sent Jesus to take the place of our sins are for our sins on the cross. And then in chapters four through six, he basically unpacks what this redemptive life looks like. He encourages us to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, a renewed life. Paul introduces this family theme all throughout the book. He begins by describing God as our heavenly father. And he says that he's adopted us as his children. We're all sons and daughters of God. He also says that we're part of the whole family of God, the whole household, which kind of gives this picture of an extended family. We're all part and we all belong. In chapter three, verse 14, Paul says that the whole family derives its name from our father. When I became a father, I was here in Evansville, 1994. And a friend of mine, or excuse me, 1996, a friend of mine gave me a t-shirt that said, who's your daddy? Not H-O-W or W-H-O apostrophe S, who's your daddy, but who's your daddy? H-O-O-S-I-E-R, who's your daddy? Now, being a rabid UK fan, that shirt didn't make too many public appearances, all right? It became a good car wash rag. It's been used for lots of purposes but it was a special thing to think about being a dad. All of us belong to the same family and that same family is God's family. In chapter five, verse one, Paul says that we're dearly loved children and that we should imitate our father as living as children of the light. Paul recognizes God's established order to things. He says that God is the, the father, the, he's sovereign over all creation. He also says that, that Jesus is the head of the church. He says that the, the husband is the, the head of the wife and of the family. And he says that's how God designed it to be. And so then he begins to unpack what those responsibilities look like. So grab your Bible and let's look at Ephesians chapter six, verses one through, through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live and enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We're just gonna unpack what Paul has to say both to us as children, but also to those of us who are parents. And he begins by saying, children, you're to obey your parents in the Lord, this is right. The original words Paul uses there are actually to hear under, which means to listen and obey. Both the Jewish law and Roman law thought it was a great idea for children to obey their parents. And disobedience to parents in the Old Testament was not taken lightly. Every parent will wanna to turn to the book of Deuteronomy with me, chapters 21, 
Listen to what the Old Testament law said about disobedience, beginning in verse 19. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother should take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of this town. They should say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey and he is a glutton and drunkard. Then all the men of the town will stone him to death. You must purge this evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. And all the parents said, amen, right? I can see parents getting that tattooed on their forearm right as I speak right now, right? The New Testament isn't that soft about disobedience either. Paul, when writing to Timothy, his second letter, says that disobedience to parents is actually a sign of the end times. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, uh, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Those are strong words when it comes to disobeying our parents. And in our culture today, we kind of laugh at that because we certainly don't take obedience to parents very seriously. But Paul says that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. By saying in the Lord, Paul is not inferring that only if their parents are godly or only if they give godly instruction are parents, are children to obey. But rather, what Paul is saying is that obeying their parents is a child's expression of their own faith in God and obedience to the Lord. And that's why Paul says, this is right. This is how God designed it to be. Mark Silent last week taught about how when husbands love their wives and when wives submit to their husbands, they're doing that as an expression of their faith in God. And God had a, a clear purpose when he instituted the family in the Garden of Eden. He created man and, and woman. He joined them together and said, let the two become one flesh. And he said, this is very good what I've done here. And then he encouraged that first family to multiply, to, to be blessed, to, to populate the earth. However, there's a higher purpose that comes to when it comes to the family of what God instituted. The larger purpose of parenting is to help raise children who will fear and obey God, to teach their children to love and live spirit-filled lives. It all begins with obedience. My friends, if we don't learn to obey our parents, then we'll struggle obeying the teacher. We'll struggle obeying the coach. We'll have a little time for what our boss really thinks or what he or she says. And certainly it impacts how we respond to our God. The overall goal is that children grow in their love for God and others as they joyfully submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, there's not much written about Jesus from the time he was born until the time he started his earthly ministry at age 30. It's not a lot of things recorded between those two except one snapshot when Jesus was 12 years old. 
Luke records it and says that Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem every year to celebrate the Passover. That's a cue for us parents. Joseph and Mary were raising God's son, but they taught him how to love God by their obedience and faithful devotion to God. And so they did this every year. And when Jesus was 12 years old on that trip, they spent their time celebrating the Passover and then Mary and Joseph started back to Nazareth and they got two to three days into the journey and they looked around and couldn't find Jesus. Have you ever lost one of your children? I need to confess this morning, my name's Phil and I've lost a child. Actually, I've lost the same child multiple times. It's not necessarily my fault, okay? So we have a child that is an escaper. In fact, when he was younger, we called him Houdini, okay? Because he like took out screens out of the window and climbed out the window. The longest that we lost him was about an hour. He had slipped out of the backyard, wandered through the neighborhood, and was on the swing set of one of our neighbors, who we had never met until that moment, but he made himself quite at home. Those are panic-stricken minutes. Every tick of the clock feels like an hour. Can you imagine losing your child for two to three days? So what would Joseph and Mary have done when they found little Jesus in the temple that day? I know what I would have done, but what Luke records happening is amazing. Luke says that Mary and Joseph were astonished at what they saw. That would be an understatement, okay? But they were astonished because Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching the religious leaders. And so when they confronted Jesus and said, bro, where you been? We've been looking for you. Listen, listen what happened. Luke chapter two, it says this. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I would be about my, in my father's house? They didn't really understand what he meant, what they were saying to him or to them. But then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, scripture says. His mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Children, if we're looking for an example of what it looks like to follow and obey our parents, we don't have to look any further than Jesus himself, who humbly submitted himself. Remember, he created the world, and yet he surrendered his rights to his parents and obeyed them. Paul continues in chapter six by saying, honor your father and mother, which posed the question to me, is honoring the same thing as obeying? Well, the Old Testament actually instructed people to not just obey, but actually honor their parents. Look what Leviticus 12, 20 verse nine says. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. That's not light teaching, is it? What does it look like to honor our parents? Well, it means to prize highly, to care for to show respect to, to treat as valuable and precious. It's also interesting to me that the word children in Ephesians 6 has no age grouping specified. And so what Paul is saying that regardless if you've lived in your parents' house recently or not, you have a responsibility. God designed you to obey your parents, but also to honor your parents. While obedience might have some expiration point, Honor never does. Jesus criticized the religious leaders of his day for their excusing of people from honoring their parents. 
the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they made up a man-made tradition called Corban. And what that basically meant is that the responsibility you have to care for your parents, you don't have to worry about. You can dedicate that money or those provisions to the work of the Lord. What basically they were doing was just lining their pockets with money that was intended to go for the caring of parents. It was a man-made uh, way to, to kind of get around this responsibility. And Jesus criticizes them for it. He says, you're really good about making up your own laws that are contrary to God's laws. We have a God-commanded responsibility as children to obey our parents as well as to honor them. And Paul says that this command comes with a promise that it may go well with you and enjoy long life. Honoring our parents is the first of the 10 commandments that deals with the human relationships. And it's the only command of the 10 that actually comes with a promise. We should obey God because of his sovereignty, but even more if there is a promise attached to it. And Paul states the positive effects rather than the, the, the negative consequences. He says respectful, obedient children will normally become productive, successful adults. How do I know that? Because he says, it, will may, it may go well with you if you obey and honor your parents. He says, you'll have long life. And that's not necessarily referring to the earthly experience, but it's actually referring to eternal life. S.M. Ball, he clarifies that, that Paul's not teaching a works salvation here. He says, the obedience of children is evidence that they know God and it results in receiving blessings from God. Uh, he wasn't the first person to say that. Listen to the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 6. He says this in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart and fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. Correction and instruction or the way to life. That's how God designed it to be. He placed children in the care of their parents so that parents would direct them, provide for them, care for them. And children, we have a responsibility. God designed us, intended for us, to obey our parents, to respect them, and to honor them. And it's because of the type of blessing that comes from that, the, the, the lack of frustration, like trying to pry that stupid pop bottle lid off with a seatbelt. When you go God's way, it's because of the blessings that come that then Paul turns his attention now to fathers. And if, I think the context would include mothers as well. And he gives this instruction in verse four of Ephesians six. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Throughout the letter uh, to the Ephesians, Paul's been addressing the new life that comes by being redeemed through the power of Christ's blood and the effect it should have in all of our lives. He says to put off the old self, which is filled with sinful desires, and put on the new self that's being renewed through the Holy Spirit. And he gives some examples. He says, if you're a liar, stop lying and start telling the truth. He says, if you've been a thief, stop stealing and use your hands for something productive, something useful. And so Paul begins his address to parents by giving something negative to stop and something positive to start doing. 
He echoes his same instructions to the letter he writes to the Colossians. If you still have your Bible open to Ephesians, just flip over a couple pages and listen what Paul says to the Colossians. You'll hear some of the same instructions to husbands, wives, parents, and children. In verse 18, he says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. There was a tendency in the ancient world for men, because of their strength and because of their loud voices, to dominate and kind of be demeaning toward their wives and to their children. In fact, it was extremely common for wives just to be mistreated, even treated violently by their husband. It was just tolerated, even uh, approved, even even something that would be a kind of um, just something you would celebrate. And Paul writes both to the Ephesians and the Colossians for husbands to treat their wives differently than the world treated their wives. He says, don't treat them harshly. There was no room in a godly household for husbands to treat their wives disrespectfully or violently. But the same is true for children. Children in the ancient world were kind of tolerated. At best, they were dismissed. They were objectified. They were often treated as property. In fact, a a man would be known as wealthy if he had numerous kids. And so the children in that culture were just kind of looked down upon, but they were also mistreated. And so Paul's saying the old way, the sinful way is to treat your children to to exasperate them or to embitter them. But Paul's saying the way that Christ wants you to treat your family, the way God designed the family to be is different than that. Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the way of the Lord. There are several ways us parents can exasperate or, or frustrate our children. I made a list of those. First of all, just by being overprotective. Kids don't like a helicopter parent. I have a friend who's a school receptionist, and she said the best part of her job is the kids. The worst part of her job is the parents. It's the parent who brings Johnny his lunch money on Monday, and on Tuesday, she brings him the lunchbox. On Wednesday, she brings him the band uh, instrument. On Thursday, she brings his track uniform. And on Friday, she wants to talk to the principal because Johnny's teacher has been mistreating him. Nobody likes an overprotective parent, especially the child. And as they get older parents, we got to quit exasperating or frustrating our children and let them have some space. Take our hands off? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you have to let them grow up and mature. We can frustrate our children by playing favorites. The Bible is littered with hundreds of examples. I just mentioned a couple of where playing favorites ended up really bad. You have Isaac. And Ishmael. You have Jacob and Esau. You have Joseph and his brothers. The list goes on and on of how playing favorites can cause lots of dysfunction in the family. I think us parents have a tendency to have unrealistic expectations for our kids. You know, uh, some of us are trying to relive our childhood through our kids or maybe even make up for it. And that's not fair to place that responsibility or those expectations on the shoulder of our children. Disparaging remarks. You know, the old adage is true. Sticks and stones will break our bones, but I can guarantee you that words do harm. They hurt. They wound. 
they leave scars. How do I know that? Because I've heard from many of my adult friends. They can quote verbatim what their dad said to them or about them at a young age and it's wrecked their self-esteem for years upon years upon years. There is no place in the Christian home for us fathers or mothers to say words that would be demeaned or belittle the precious gifts that God has given to us. Impatience. You know, kids at age nine are not supposed to act like they're 25. And if you expect them to act like 25 when they're nine, guess what happens? When they're 25, they start acting like they're nine, okay? So stop the madness early, okay? And, and just let them be kids. Let the, ex, express some patience with them. Invite them into what you're doing. Conditional love. I mean, us withholding love when our, children's, when our children disappoint or disobey us is damaging. Modern day parents can often swing the pendulum so far the other way and kind of have this passiveness that I think is also not what Paul is describing. Many, many parents today are, are fearful of their child. They don't want that temper tantrum in the Walmart shopping uh, checkout lane. So they just clear the whole aisle of all the candy in the cart so the kid will quit crying. Some parents are, are so fearful of their kids that they, they just don't want to incur the wrath of a spoiled child. And so they back off on discipline completely. Listen to what Proverbs has to say about that. Proverbs 13, 24, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 23, verse 13 says, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. I'm living proof that that principle is true, okay? Physical discipline may well save them from death. Paul says, don't exasperate your children. Don't embitter them, don't frustrate them, don't treat them the way the world treats them. So how do we treat them? Well, he says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's why God gave you those children. That's how he designed it to be. That children would obey and, and honor their parents. And children or parents would bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I've told many people in my adult life that I'm a product, not just of my dad's one sermon on Sunday a week, but my mom's six sermons the other days of the week. That's who made me who I am. I don't give them the blame, I just give them the credit, okay? Fathers and mothers both are to prepare their children for life in this world. And that comes through teaching and training. Parents, we play a crucial role in the discipleship of our children. To bring them up means to nourish them, to protect them, to educate them, to discipline them, to reprimand them, even to warn them. Here's a picture from the house that we just moved from in Noblesville. I walked by this coming down the stairs for the last time. The picture that hangs there is a picture of our family. And my wife stenciled this on the wall. It says from Joshua 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We put a stake in the ground for the Heller house and said, you know what? Regardless of what the world does, we're gonna live for God. And Christy and I, as parents, we're certainly not perfect. Our three kids could give testimony to that after the service. But here's one commitment we've made to raise our kids in the training and admonition of the Lord, which means that we pray for our children daily, every morning, this morning, no exception. I kneel before God and pray very specific prayers for Jenna, for Kate, and for Kendall. I know Christy prays for our kids as well. 
We've tried to be a godly example. Again, not perfect, but authentic enough that they would see, even when we mess up, we're trying to follow and, and chase after God. We've tried to coach them and encourage them, even discipline them when needed. We've also, when they were young until now, we've also tried to always give them the moral reason why, which meant that we just didn't make a bunch of rules and regulations, but we tried to teach them the word of God in our training and even in our discipline. And that comes from what Deuteronomy has to say. Listen to the words of Moses as he gave this admonition to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter six, this is called the Shema. And it says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you go to sleep. Tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames and walls of your houses and on your gates. Parents, if you need a, a picture of what it looks like to be a godly father or, or mother, you don't have to look anywhere else than our heavenly father. And regardless of the example that your earthly father or mother may have been, I want to point all of our attention to a description of, of God as our father. It's recorded in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to how the message relates this. It says, have you forgotten how good parents treat their children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline and, and don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in, it isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training us and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. If you're a parent today, you're looking for a picture of what it looks like to parent well, parent in a godly way, you can look at how God deals with us as his children and follow his example. And if you're here today, you maybe have been wounded, even severely hurt by a parent in your life. I wanna encourage you to not lose hope that there's a God who is your father. He has a, a, an unconditional love for you. He has promised to work for your best and for your good. And he proved that by giving up his only son so he could have you as his child and receive him and his love. Lean into him, long for him like you've longed for that dad or mom that you felt like you've never had. God will meet you there. His love is lavished upon us, is what 1 John 1, 3 says, that we could be called children of God because that's who we are, exclamation point. So how do we live this out 
Let me just kind of be practical as we wrap this up today. And first, I'm going to speak to children. It's God's design for us as children to obey and honor our parents. Obedience is a matter of the heart. I love the story of a, a young set of parents who had a toddler boy and they were trying to get him to sit down for dinner one evening and it just took a long time to convince him to finally sit at the table in his chair so they could begin dinner. And finally he gave in, he surrendered and he looked his dad in the eye and he pointed his finger and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? I often think that if... Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, this independence that she has, this strength, this strong-willedness, if she lived long enough for God to use that, that he could do great things through her. And I think he still is working on that. If we can't learn to obey our parents, then we're choosing the hard road. Look again what Proverbs says. My child, listen when your father corrects you. And don't neglect your mother's instructions. What you learn from them will, be a, will crown you with grace. It'll be a chain of honor around your neck. So today, if you have a belly button, you owe somebody something. You owe them your respect. You owe them your obedience. You owe them honor. You owe them just gratitude. Not because they deserve it necessarily is what Paul says. Your obligation is because that's what God has designed you to do. He's commanded us to obey and honor our parents regardless of how they've done in their job of parenting. Remember, God's designed us to express our faith in him by being obedient to him, which means following through and being obedient and honoring to our parents. I've felt the most honor as a dad by just simple notes that my kids would leave me at places unexpected, behind the steering wheel, on the mirror where I get dressed, a simple text that just is personal to me and our relationship with each other, just joining me in doing something like unpacking boxes, or just a small meaningful gift that just shows me that I was on their mind when they were not in my presence. And y'all know that what my parents want, even at age 45, is just for me to show up in their life, to listen to their stories, and to share about my life and my family, and just to spend quality time together. So today, not because it's Father's Day, but for dads and moms in your life, pick up the phone, make a phone call, send them a text, stop by their house, pick them up something, and just to say, I love you, thank you, I respect you. Thanks for doing the best you could. And as an expression of my faith in God, I just wanna honor you for who you are in my life. Parents, dads especially, we have a God-designed responsibility to raise our children in the Lord. Proverbs 22, six says this, direct your children on the right path. And when they're older, they will not leave it. This, this passage here has, has brought some debate. People ask the question, is this a promise or is this a principle? And I say it's both. The principle part of this is the top part. That's what is expected of us as parents, to direct our children onto the right path. The bottom section is the promise of God that when we do our part, God does his part. We, when they are older, they won't leave it. 
The, the, the problem is there's no commitment to the time between the top and the bottom, right? And some of you parents are here today having done your best and you're still waiting for God to fulfill his promise that those children would walk in that way or even return to it. But this training involves both parents. But I'll be honest, most of the heavy lifting around the Heller house, as well as most Christian families, gets done by mom. And I'm saying that that has to change. Paul's instruction was to dads for a reason. It was the reason that Warner Hogg and Felipe Warner found a study that they did in Switzerland in 1994. They researched the impact of family on faith. What kind of influence do mom and dads both have in children walking with the Lord when they become adults? And here's what they found, that when both mom and dad are walking faithfully with the Lord, that 33% of the children raised in that household will continue in the faith after they leave home. That's not a very high statistic, is it? 33%. But get this, when it's just mom, when dad's not in the picture spiritually, he's aloof or just has no interest in spiritual things, 3% continue in the faith when they leave home. That's even a less number. That study has been redone in all kinds of settings across all kinds of countries. It's a longitudinal study and it's proven the same thing time and time and time again. Robbie Lowe writes, in framingformingfaith.com this. He says, a mother's role will always remain primary in terms of intimacy, care, and nurture. The toughest man may sport a tattoo dedicated to the love of his mom without being embarrassed. No father can replace that relationship, but it's equally true that when a child begins to move on into that period of differentiation from living at home to experiencing the real world, both boys and girls look increasingly to their father for his role model. And what that means is I can think of no better way to celebrate Father's Day than for us dads to start living out the way that we've been designed to be the spiritual leaders of our homes, And maybe it's a commitment that you need to make today as a dad, or maybe it's a recommitment to say, I'm going to live the way that God designed me to be and has commanded me to fulfill the responsibilities of caring for my family. So what does that look like? Well, pray at the table. Don't let mom do all the praying. You pray. Pray daily for your kids. Demonstrate patience. Invite them to help you. Cheer instead of always being the coach. Love their mom faithfully. Be present with your family. And if you need an example to to follow, then you don't have to look any further than our Heavenly Father who has lavished his love upon us. It's a manly thing to love your wife. It's a manly thing to love your kids and to lead them and to serve them and to train them in the way that God wants us to. One of the favorite pictures in my house is actually gonna make its way to my new office here at Crossroads because there's no more wall space in the house we just moved into, okay? So my wife says, you can take this to the office. Maybe some of you may have been there. But here's a picture of it. I love this. It's a picture of Jesus, right? Or what most people think he looks like. But the coolest thing about this picture is it's actually made of words. And the words are every word from the gospel of John. 
the artist took the words about Jesus and made a picture of Jesus. That blows my mind. I can't do anything other than arts and crafts with like toothpicks and like, you know, those little sticks, just glue them together. It's madness at work. But this artist took those words about Jesus and drew his picture. Here's my challenge to us. As children, as parents, what would the words used to describe us draw a picture of? And my friends, here's my challenge. If that picture doesn't look a lot like Jesus, then let's start living the way that we've been designed. That children will obey our parents because it's right. It's what the Lord has designed us to do. It's his instruction. And we express our faith in him when we do it. And parents, when we love our children, when we discipline them, when we train them in the way of the Lord, we are looking as much like Jesus as possible. He reflects his father and we reflect him when we father and mother and parent in a godly way. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for being a great dad. God, as a dad myself, I need some example to follow and you're a perfect example. And God, you know me. You know the times I fail. You know my impatience. You know my passivity. You know my, my, the temptations I face and fall, God. And I'm so in need of your grace and mercy as a child and as a father. And God, I may not be alone here today. So we're all asking for your help through the power of the Holy Spirit that this redeemed life would come to life in us. And God, that's why you instituted the family. You wanted the world to see a picture of a great father and a healthy family. And that's what we have in you, an awesome father, a perfect father. And God, we have the opportunity to draw a picture of who you are in this community and across the world, God. Help us to do that by being obedient, honoring children. Help us to do that by being godly, faithful, and loving, and leading parents. And God, may the result of all that bring glory and honor to you, we pray, through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.